trust God with our present circumstances, that's what we're left with. And uh, we rejoice in Him. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. Because when you turn on the news, uh, when you open up your web browser, we're reminded that we live in a world that is filled with trouble and danger. Read about what's happening in certain places in the world, these hot pockets where war is so prevalent, terrorism is prevalent. We think about this particular uh, global pandemic and how it has affected um, cities and countries and families. Uh, we read about the natural disasters of earthquakes, tsunamis, uh, tornadoes right here in the Midwest. Uh, we, we see the stories about wicked people uh, doing wicked things to others. And it's troubling. I remember when we used to send our kids out the door to school um, in, into a world that, that is often filled with danger, traffic accidents, uh, predators, violence, drug and alcohol abuse, uh, bad relationships. You go to open up your mailbox and there's more bills than there are checks. And we wonder how we're going to survive in a in a struggling economy, especially the one we're in right now. Look in the mirror and just examine your own thoughts, your own behaviors, and we're reminded that there's something wrong with us. There's a, there's a wickedness that, that causes us to think things that are hurtful and wrong. And so considering all that, we, we consider in, in really any given day, we're quite prone to become anxious. We're, we're prone to worry, and worry oftentimes a lot. And, and generally speaking, our society is filled with chronic worriers, many who even require uh, medication just to help them not come undone at the seams. I wonder today, what is it that makes you anxious? What are the things that cause you to worry? This morning we're going to look together at a passage of scripture that addresses this very subject. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. And, and as, as we read these verses this morning, I want you to hold God's word in one hand. And I want you to hold those things that cause you anxiety, worry, fear in the other hand. And I want that to be very clear for you because I want you to see what your worry and fear and anxiety communicate to you and I want you to see what God's Word communicates to you. So Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. 
If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Today, we are intending to start, uh, we never know how things are going to pan out, uh, a small mini-series that's going to work through these particular verses that we've read. And uh, I've titled it this, God's Prescription for Anxiety. How do we deal with it? And today we're going to focus our attention on Philippians 4.4, that first verse, that first prescription, which is this, to rejoice. But let's, let's pray for a moment. Father, we come before you, and I pray that we all come acknowledging your word, but also humbly and even confessionally acknowledging our own anxieties, our own fears, our own worries. And Spirit, we're asking that you would use the word uh, to change the way we view those things that cause us so much distress. Uh, not just this week, but in the weeks to come as we continue to, to consider these truths of Scripture together. God, we're trusting you to accomplish your good work in us. And we pray for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Verse 4 is probably familiar to you, especially if you grew up in Sunday school or vacation Bible school, uh, because it was that familiar song. You want to clap after you read verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and you clap, and you keep on moving, and you say it again. But for those who are dealing with anxiety, for those who are struggling with fears and worries, the idea of rejoicing uh, seems quite strange. Because being joyful and expressing joy typically is the last thing on your mind when you're worried about something. Anxiety and rejoicing are on uh, opposite ends of the universe. But that is exactly why God prescribes it as a remedy for our anxious hearts. I mean, it only makes sense that to bring us back, we have to do the opposite thing. Joy is a major theme in Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, and uh, it's really been a major theme that we have hit on from the beginning of uh, this shutdown. Uh, we started in James chapter 1 with the idea of rejoicing in our present circumstances. Um, but this isn't the first time that Paul has encouraged the Philippians to rejoice. And the amazing thing is, is Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians. He's writing it from a Roman prison where he is awaiting a trial before Caesar. And at the trial before Caesar, he will either be released or he will likely be executed for his faith in Jesus Christ. And he writes from a posture of joy, not of anxiety. I don't understand how that works. But he's also writing to a church that, that is in a position where persecution is beginning to mount against them. Things are getting difficult in Philippi. And Paul doesn't write them and say, hey guys, just hang in there. I'm hanging in there as best I can like a, you know, a cheesy cat poster. Now what does he say? He says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. But, but that story is just the, the back story. I, I want to share with you the way, way back story. Because in the book of Acts, uh, we learn of 
of, of the church that continues to grow and develop and, and spread after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. In Acts 9, as we have talked about throughout this particular shutdown on videos, Paul is converted. His name is Saul at that point. Uh, but he continues to be used by the Spirit. And on his second missionary journey, in Acts chapter 16, I believe, him and Silas, uh, they make their way for the first time to the city of Philippi. And there in the city of Philippi, they are arrested for disturbing the peace. They're beaten, they're thrown into prison. And, and I can only imagine that a prison in the first century uh, was quite dingy, uh, quite distressful. And while I would be curled up in the dark, crying myself to sleep, wondering what I've gotten myself into, filled with fear, filled with anxiety, what do we find Paul and Silas doing in that moment? These two guys are singing praise to God that night. And hopefully the question in your mind is, is how? How does Paul rejoice while awaiting a trial before Caesar? How does Paul and Silas rejoice while they're in a jail in Philippi for, for what? For preaching the gospel. How can someone have joy in such a dark moment of their life? How can someone avoid anxiety when life and death is in question? How can I have joy when my car breaks down again? How can I have joy when some little kid that, that may or may not belong to me has taken a permanent marker and, and scribbled all over the walls of the bathroom? How can I have joy when my boss is just not easy to get along with? How can I have joy when my vacation plans have changed? How can I have joy when my graduation was canceled? How can I have joy when my missions trip was canceled? That seems strange, doesn't it? That's what happened to our group we just found out this week. Or maybe we connected to Habakkuk. How can I have joy when the fig tree has failed, when there's no fruit on the vines, when the stalls are empty? Well, look again with me at verse 4. The verse doesn't tell us how to rejoice. It doesn't say, hey, you've got to sing when you're in jail in Philippi. There's no specific instruction about the how that we rejoice, but it does give us the foundation, the, the ground of our rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, here's where many get confused, and, and oftentimes they feel greater discouragement. Many read these words and they think, they say rejoice in your circumstances. And again, I say rejoice. God does not require us to rejoice in the painful events of our lives. That's what lament is about. He doesn't say rejoice uh, that your plans have changed or rejoice that your loved one has, has died. That's not what he says. Where do we find our joy in a world filled with anxiety, in, in a broken world filled with anxieties? What or who is to be the foundation of our joy? The text says it. The Lord. The Lord. We rejoice because we know that He is in control. We rejoice because we know that He loves us. We rejoice because we know that He will use 
these circumstances. He will work His plan to strengthen our faith. We rejoice because we know that all things work together for good. For those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. We rejoice because we know that He is infinitely wiser than we are. We rejoice because He's always right. He's perfectly good. We rejoice in Him. MacArthur summarizes this point well when he says, those who know the great truths about God find it easy to rejoice. Those with little knowledge of Him find it difficult to rejoice. This is the call of James 1, that we're to count it all joy when we fall into the struggling trials of life. It's the submissive conclusion of Habakkuk where he says, uh, though all of these things fail, yet I will rejoice. What does he say? In, in the Lord. I'll rejoice in God who is my salvation. Now, I don't mean to, to pretend or sound like rejoicing is easy. Because it's not. But let me share with you a story that some of you are familiar with. Some of it, it may be new for you. I want to introduce you to a man named Horatio Spafford. He was a businessman in the Chicago area. In 1871, he lost a great deal of, of money, capital, in the great Chicago fire. And in 1873, um, he decided that he and his family, his wife, and his four daughters would travel to, to England where they would try to be an encouragement and maybe help his good friend D.L. Moody as he was on an evangelistic crusade. With the last minute, Spafford was detained and so he sent his wife and his four daughters on. Their ship was struck by a British vessel and sank in the Atlantic Ocean. And his four daughters drowned. His wife alone was saved. And Horatio Spafford got on a vessel and was making his way to England to be with his wife. And, and as the story goes, uh, the vessel he was on stopped. Or, or at least they informed him that this is the area in which your daughters perished. And so what did he do in that moment? He... He wrote these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That great hymn is the product, that great hymn of rejoicing, as we would go through the remainder of those verses, is a product of one of those painful, probably the most painful experience. In Horatio Spafford's life. Author D.A. Carson writes this. He says, Obedience to this command is possible because the ground of rejoicing is changeless. He goes on to say, Our circumstances may rightly call from us grief and tears and sorrow. And unless the Lord comes back first, each of us will face death, our own, and if we live long enough, the death of our friends and our loved ones. And we'll weep. We'll weep. But even in our tears, we may rejoice. We will rejoice. We must rejoice. For we rejoice where? In the Lord. He does not change. And that is why we shall rejoice in the Lord always. And if you're hard-headed like I am, if you're forgetful like I am, 
you'll notice what the Apostle Paul does. He repeats it. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what worries you. I don't know what keeps you awake at night. I don't know what keeps you in bed in the morning. But I do know the one who, if you know him, he drives anxiety out and he replaces it with joy. And that's the truth that I want you to know. I want you to know him. Uh, I, I want you to, to know him. I want you to make him known. That's our focus here at Metaview. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one who said, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And then what did he do? He laid down his life so that we might have peace, so that we might be his friends, so that we could escape a world filled with anxiety. So, friend, I want to encourage you. I want to invite you today to know him. And you may say, well, I do know him. Then know him more so that you can rejoice, so that you can begin to push the anxiety out of your life so that you can turn on the news and not fear because you know the one who knows the number of hairs on your head. But I think the point and the question of application where the rubber really meets the road for us today is this, how, how do we get to know him more? If knowing him, knowing his word, his promises is what uh, helps diminish the worry and the anxiety in my life, what do I need to do to know him more. You gotta get in his word. You gotta learn theology. Theology is not a word for pastors or for seminary professors. Theology is this, it's the study of God. And you've got to get to know him more. And you do that by opening up his word, by reading books that are gonna teach you who he is, by being around people who know him. And that requires for us the measure of discipline to, to turn off the news and open up our Bible, uh, to, to stop binge-watching uh, for a little while and open up a good book of theology that's teaching us the character, the attributes of our God. It's going to require some, some discipline work, but friends, it is worth it. Because in the end, you will know what it is to rejoice in the Lord. To have joy in, in the moments of deepest pain in your life. Because you know Him. And then, you can make Him known to others who are hurting. To others who are struggling to understand their circumstances in life. Rejoice is prescription number one. Uh, we've got a few more that we're going to talk about over the coming weeks. And I hope that uh, you'll be able to be a part of those discussions as well because at each point, each of these prescriptions just helps us to, uh, to come to an understanding of what our anxiety is, what it accomplishes, and what God's Word says and how God's Word, how the Spirit of God working through the Scriptures can bring about incredible change in our lives. Father, we thank you so much for these truths. And God, I pray your, your blessing on everyone who's hearing these things today. That God, they would, they would be able to. Really
coming hours, in the coming days and weeks and months. Even if they were known as a as a worry woman.